Look at my butt. Show number 208 of Look at His Butt, LT and JK Talking Trek. Welcome, listeners, to another episode of Look at His Butt, the galactic hub of our friendship. (laughs) That's right. Oh, goodness. Well, this past weekend was Comic-Con, and so much stuff was happening at Comic-Con. It was incredible. Um, And I was feeling a little bit like, oh, I wish I could have been there. But then I thought again about how hot and sweaty it is and how people had to wait 24 hours to get into Hall H, which is a big (sighs) hall for some of the shows. And I was like, fuck that. I I know. I felt exactly the same way. And I wasn't even aware of the 24-hour thing. I was just thinking, there's way too many people for me to, to deal with that kind of crowd, you know. Yeah, I mean, unless unless you were invited as a guest, in which case you wouldn't have to yeah, wait if you were VIP. for 24 hours. Yeah, that would be fun. But uh, yeah, I was reading about those poor people who were waiting for different um, panels because in Hall H they had um, the, the Sherlock thing and the Doctor Who thing and oh they had some God. movie stuff. And it's like, oh my God, 24 hours in line no. just to go into a room and hear people talk? No. No, just no. Um, but Bill was there. Yes. And he was doing everything all the time, as always. But before we get to the Comic-Con stuff, um, we both watched his his movie, his documentary called Chaos on the Bridge, which we've been talking about for like six months or a year yes. or something. Yes, and, but now it's out. You know, you can out. see it's it. On, it's on Vimeo. You can go and see it there. You can either buy it or rent it, and the rental mm-hmm. is very cheap. And I thought it was terrific. And so... I would encourage anybody who is an interest in TO, um, TNG to watch it because it was amazing. Even if you're not all that interested in TO, TNG, I thought it was great. And, you know, you got um, – even even though they didn't talk about TOS at all, mm-hmm. what what was being presented was – this this absolutely weird chaotic thing going on you could sort of mentally compare to it was relatively more organized i think on tos and you know people were pointing that out mm-hmm. and this was this sounds like an absolute madhouse i mean i'm going how did people why didn't everybody just up and quit during those first three years? Oh, really? It, it sounded just awful. I mean, I know that television can be awful anyway, mm-hmm. but this just sounded so much worse than what it normally is. Um, <sighs> so um, I was just going to give an overview, but if you want to sure, come no. in with something else. No, you go right ahead and I'll pop in whenever. So um, Bill was the interviewer, and I have to say... I don't think anybody but Bill could have produced a movie like this. I don't either. I feel like the only reason people were telling those stories was because it was Bill who was making this. Right. Yes. They would, they would never have opened up like that to a journalist or some other figurehead type person. It was because it's Bill and because right. he was Captain Kirk. <laughs> well, that's just it. You know, he, he's like a, 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 a cohort, even if you've never worked with him, mm-hmm. you know, because you've all been in the Star Trek world together. He had probably met... Uh, most of those people, if not all of them, before mm-hmm. in the in the course of his career, and uh, I, I I was thinking, you know, this is so great. We've talked about how people are still digging in TOS and finding things, and how sad it is mm-hmm. that you know most people associated with TOS are getting very old or have already passed away. And in a way, even though this was just a glimpse of a certain aspect of the show, how lucky the TNG fans are. To, to uh, you know, do this while mm-hmm. most of these people are still around to tell the stories. Yeah, and, and still working, you yes. know, act- actively writing and directing, and some of them still very much involved in Trek, mm-hmm. which is cool. Um, so they talked to pretty much all of the major players for the first three years of the show. Um, so it was the original writers, people who came from TOS, like David Gerald and DC Fontana, and then the newer folks who were brought in to write, plus the people who would go on to produce a lot more of Trek, like Rick Berman, for example, mm-hmm. and Ira Bear and Ron Moore, um, and some of the actors as well, Patrick Stewart and... Um, <laughs> I thought Gaze McFadden was good, and then um, Jonathan Frakes was hilarious. I loved him, and I had seen that clip before. But it's like, Jonathan Frakes, I would like to hang out with you. He sounds like so much fun. And the way he could, he was just talking with Bill so easily, like mm-hmm. they were sitting in a bar having a beer yeah, together. Yeah, oh, Bill. <laughs> it was just great. 
Um, so what it seemed to me was that this the TNG was Gene's uh, attempt at a comeback, really, because he hadn't yes. been involved in the movies that much. And he wanted to be in control without really controlling things. Mm-hmm. You know, and people kept saying, like, they needed somebody to really lead the show, to be the showrunner, to be the person in charge. And that person was supposed to be Gene, except he really wasn't doing it. And he was letting people flounder and flail and, and try to figure out what the best way to do this show was without mm-hmm. taking that strong leadership role. And... um. If it had been a TOS situation, it would have been someone like Bill, an actor, taking control. But Patrick Stewart wasn't going to do that. And some of the other writers from original TOS were trying to step up but were being thwarted. So the guy who was brought in to be um, sort of the running the writer's room, it fell to him to do it. And people didn't always agree with what he had to say. Mm-hmm. It put him in a terrible position. It put everybody else in a terrible position. Yep. And, you know, like I, I was discussing it with someone and, and we were saying the, the problem when you have a series like that is you have to make however many shows, right? Right. It doesn't matter if they're good or not. You just have to make a show because it has to go out on television. So, Well, it's like the one guy was saying, it's a sausage factory. Yep, exactly. So no matter if the scripts are good or bad or true, you do your best. But at some point it goes in front of the cameras and they film it and that goes out and then it's out of your hands. Mm-hmm. So I just the the stress and the pressure of those years must have been awful, and it's no wonder. What did they say? Thirty different writers came and went in the first two years. Uh, yeah, that, that, that there be- was a board in the one bathroom mm-hmm. with a, a, a listing all of them. But you know what was interesting to me, and I have heard this talked about before, but never really quite in this perspective, that the key flaw of the show. Um, getting away from the the who's in charge issue, which was huge, was Roddenberry's vision now had evolved Mm -hmm. and that it was now that these people had no flaws. And all the writers were going, well, conflict is the the heart of any any drama or any comedy, anything, you know, and Mm -hmm. we don't know how to, to write this. We don't want to write for perfect people and I remember reading something years ago saying what that did was open the door for every single guest star to totally steal the show mm-hmm. yeah because they had personalities and, and character flaws yes so you could definitely do that and yeah I think if you rewatch those first two seasons it's really obvious how much they were struggling to find ways for the characters to interact with each other where it mm-hmm. didn't feel like um, well, like Bill was saying, like Picard was an administrator, right? He mm-hmm. wasn't an action guy. He was he was the corporate CEO who just sat there and had meetings, and then they had to deal with their monster of the week. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it wasn't until they were allowed to have some conflict, and I think everybody pointed to the end of season three when they did Best of Both Worlds mm-hmm. as the real turning point, and I, I think that is absolutely true. You know, right. that that two parter was so good in so many ways and introduced so much so many levels of conflict and and character interaction and ways that it could go where you really didn't know what was going to happen. It was, it was great. One of the best things they've done. Yes. Yes. That, that, that was great. And of course um, I was surprised nobody mentioned this and maybe I've got it wrong, but I always understood the, the way that was written uh, was because Patrick Stewart was possibly not going to come back for the next season uh and so the cliffhanger might be yep he's with the borg and we killed them all and he's gone and now riker's in charge wow and they were they were grooming what's her name suzanne brandt yeah (laughs) you know what i mean i know i don't remember her name in the show i don't either well they were grooming her to be the the new first officer yeah and that would have been very interesting also. Uh-huh. Mm, wow. Um, I re- so one of the other things about Chaos on the Bridge is that it is um, interviews, and it cuts very quickly from interview to interview, which was interesting in ways, mm-hmm. with a lot of um, sort of limited animation, which was quite hilarious. And I really, really loved the fact that they talked about Patrick Stewart's audition and said that he had to have his toupee oh. FedEx from Europe, and it was I- a bad toupee. <laughs> yes. I gotta say, I love the little animation because 
it, it, it added flavor to the documentary. It kept it from being more than just talking heads. Yeah, yeah. And I think one of the challenges of this was I don't think uh, Paramount or whoever wanted to lend them any footage. I think you're absolutely right. So they had to come up with something else, which I thought was great. It was. It was really good. And there was enough um, cutting to Bill as he was Mm -hmm. listening where you felt like he really was participating. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like they said, this is William Shatner's production of Chaos on the Bridge, but he wasn't actually there interviewing people. Right, right. He He wasn't really listening or responding, you know. It was great. And I really liked it, too, when um, Ira Bear, one of the writers, turned it around for a second and said to Bill, how did you feel when you saw Chuck coming out and your name wasn't on it? You know, really, honestly, did you have Mm -hmm. a twinge? And Bill said, yeah, I did. I really did. Yeah, of course. It was nice to hear that. Um, So the animation was great. It was, it was funny. And the illustration of Picard or Patrick Stewart's bad toupee was pretty, pretty amusing. Um, What I really liked about the fast cutting too, especially Mm -hmm. when it was a, controversial thing like right at the beginning when they were talking about Gene Roddenberry and people were giving their opinions was that they they cut to sections from about 20 different people and they were Mm -hmm. all throwing out the side of him that they had seen and some of them were so contradictory right yes like oh he was so nice he was wonderful he was generous to his friends he was a bully he was an asshole to people he did this he He sold out all his friends he sold all out his friends he stabbed them in the back I hated him like it was just it was great to see all those different perceptions just mm-hmm. thrown at you one after the other, you know, really building up the fact that people are different, right? Like they showed different yep. sides to different people. So, but know, there, no, there was one, go ahead. I was, he wasn't the greatest guy in the world to everyone all the time. As yes. You sometimes see in, you know, Trek mythology. Right. Right. Um, the one thing they all agreed on, though, was they hated Gene's lawyer. Mm-hmm. Like, with a passion. I mean, the, passion. the one guy told the story about that the lawyer was standing next to an open window, had no screen or anything, and he was standing with him and thinking, it would be so easy to push this bastard out the window. Oh, that was so And they funny. would give me a medal. Really? Was, I think that was David Gerald who said that. Was it? It was very, very, very funny. So that was great. Um, there were a couple things that... Either they were new to me or I knew them and forgot them. So one was that um, Gene was going to rehab every weekend while they were trying to get TNG together. I didn't yeah, realize that didn't his dependency that. on alcohol and drugs was that bad at that time. Yeah. So that was news. And they didn't spend too much time talking about it. They just said it was one of the contributing factors towards mm-hmm. the trouble in getting it started. But the other thing was that Susan Sackett had an affair with him for a long time. Yeah. I didn't know that. Did well, you know appara- that? No, I didn't know that. And apparently she wrote a book about it. Somehow this passed me by and I did not know it. No. Nope. Um, and that was interesting also. I mean, you know, Jean had very much a reputation as a womanizer. But mm-hmm. when he got married to Majel, I thought maybe things settled down. But I guess they didn't. No. Wow. So, yeah, that was that was news to me. Um it was, what, it was an hour and a half, I guess, and it took, it was pretty much from how TNG got started up and through that end of the third season when actually things began to gel and it turned into something really good. So it doesn't cover the whole seven no, years of TNG. No. Um, um, it's actually only an hour. Really? It felt yes. like longer. No, it was actually only an hour. Wow. And um, I almost hate to say this, but it really sounds like uh, the thing that helped TNG the most was when Roddenberry died. Uh, yeah, I and was that is out true. of the picture. Yeah, I yeah, I think that's absolutely true. Um, it, it's very much. I think somebody online, I was reading a review of it, was saying mm-hmm. it's the um, it's the Theoden problem, right? Like you have this <laughs> this figurehead who is very much like absent a lot of the time, and then mm-hmm. other times you don't quite know what he's saying, and you know he's pretty much a good guy, and then you have this evil helper, Wormtongue, <laughs> aka the lawyer, right? Who was sort of running things in his absence, but you couldn't do anything to the guy because, you know, he was the king's pet. Right. If you did that, you'd get in trouble. And so nobody could do anything about the lawyer because he was Gene's lawyer and you couldn't do it. But it made for a huge vacuum at the center of everything where there should have been strong leadership from the person who supposedly knew Trek Mm -hmm. better than anyone. And there was nothing. Well, I think it's pretty funny, too, that they managed somehow to get the lawyer banned from the lot and then he would sneak back in. Really? And looking on people's computers and going through their files and stuff? Oh, my God. 
But again, it's it's one of those things like they're saying Gene was starting to believe his own publicity. Mm-hmm. But it, from what you and I know of TOS, by third season, Gene had pretty much checked out. Yes. So he wasn't even the person around who knew the most about Trek. I mean, I'd say it was like D.C. Fontana. Yeah, or, I Or agree. people like that who had really, you know, worked extensively on TOS and... Uh, um, right through the third season. Mm-hmm. And also did, like, most of the work on the animated series. Right. Right? So right. it was continuing Trek for her. And mm-hmm. as far as I know, you know, Jean didn't have a whole heck of a lot to do with that either. So, yeah, those were probably the people who should have been in charge. And I wonder, of course, how different it would have been if she had been the showrunner at that time. Mm-hmm. You know, would it have been a completely different show? Would they have ended up in the same place just sooner? Or would it have been something else completely? Well, you can't know, but, you know, Dorothy Fontana was always more interested in the characters mm-hmm. than uh, the action or the um, the device or any of yep. those things. You know, for her, it was all about exploring these characters that she loved as much as any of us did. Yeah. The, um, the two things that I think people said were Jean's greatest contribution to TNG were Q, mm-hmm. which was a great thing, and then the holodeck. Uh, and it seemed to me, you know, I think the holodeck probably would have happened anyway. It, mm-hmm. it, it was it was the kind of thing that seems so obvious that somebody would have thought of it eventually, if mm-hmm. not in that first season. It, it just is like, well, technology, that's what you would do with technology. Yeah. Yeah. And I know, I can't remember, who came up with the idea for the Borg? Was it the, the head writer, um, Morris Hurley, or was it somebody else? I think it was Morris Hurley. Yeah, okay. Because Trek would have been um, sorely lacking without the Borg in so many ways. Yeah, but to me, the problem with the Borg was you you create this enemy, and you say they are absolutely undefeatable, and then you defeat them. (laughs) Yes, this is true. You know? Yeah. That Borg really changed in their conception from when they were introduced to Mm -hmm. how we started to see them, especially in Voyager and then in um, the movies after that. My one problem, too, with the holodeck is... um, the holodeck episodes tended towards the cutesy. Yes, I agree. Or the gimmicky. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, some of them, you know, the the one with Professor Moriarty, the ideas that presented mm-hmm. were, were, that was great, you know. Mm-hmm. I thought the ending on that was amazing. Yeah, it was. It was so good. Yeah, they, they used it for things. It, it's so funny, though, because... Anybody who knows anything would know that if there was a holodeck, people would just be in there having sex with, um, you know, people that they'd always wanted to have sex with. And that's all they'd ever do. That's it. The invention of the holodeck (laughs) means the end of of the development of mankind. Exactly. Because why would you do anything else? It's like all the science fiction about people who can, you know, like plug into this thing on their wall that stimulates the pleasure center. Mm-hmm. They just never unplug and starve to death and die. Exactly. That's right. So somehow they managed to overcome that in TNG. Because and... they were also perfect. <laughs> I got to mention uh, one comment I found incredibly interesting. It was from Diana Moldar. Mm, yes. Um, you know, she was brought in to replace Dr. Crusher. And that did not work out. She didn't click with the fans or with the the actors or with anybody, apparently. But she pointed out, she said to Bill, now, when I worked with you, (laughs) it was all on the actors. Mm -hmm. And now it was a big technical thing into which the actors were inserted. Yeah. And we've talked before, never in those particular words, but so much of TOS depended on the actors being able to sell it. Mm-hmm. You know, they had to play it so believably that we were all going, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And now, or, you know, in TNG and, and now even more so, they had the, the technology and to do the special effects and all kinds of stuff that they could do that I'm not saying those actors didn't work hard, but some of the burden was not quite as great on them. Mm-hmm. No, totally agree. And, and that her remark was very perceptive, I thought. I thought so, yeah. And also, I just really loved hearing her say, when I worked with you, Bill. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, that was so nice. So, totally recommend that 100%. It's mm-hmm. really, really, really good. Yes, it is. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so there we go. That was one thing. Now let's see. Oh my gosh, there's just so many different things. The list to talk is about. amazing. I know. I know. Oh, before we get into the Comic Con stuff, though, I want to read one thing, and that was a comment from Maynard. Yes. Because it just made me laugh so hard. So you had read that story about the um, the service kangaroos. Yes. <laughs> couldn't have those. So Maynard left a note for us that said. My emotional support rank red kangaroo really fucked up the inside of my VW. <laughs> I have a hole where the sunroof used to be. <laughs> I now have a long-tailed planigale for lightening my emotional load while listening to Morrissey. Except I can't find it. <laughs> yes, that oh, was a, a real crack up. And I know I responded to that. I don't remember what I said. But, um, yes, that was so great. I just wanted everyone to hear it because it was so damn funny. Well, if anybody was going to have a service kangaroo, it would be Maynard. It would be. That's and true. And he and the service kangaroo would both wear their Captain Kirk outfits. Because <laughs> it, it's, it, it's good for you emotionally. It is. It is. <laughs> so here's some Comic-Con stuff in no particular order. Bill was there for a couple of reasons. One was that he's promoting his new thing, which I'll talk about in a second. Okay. Um, he was doing some charity stuff, and he was there to read from Kirk's autobiography, which we discussed in the last show. So and we will discuss more of. Yes. Um, yes. So this thing that he's promoting, oh, Bill, um, I'm looking at the webpage right now, which is called William Shatner's Man of War. Yes, and I went and looked at that. You have to say it like that. And then um, it says underneath it, William Shatner's critically acclaimed sci-fi novel, was it? I don't know. Uh, Man of War, in a revolutionary new format, the cinematic graphic novel. Music, sound effects, and cinematic animation bring this epic graphic novel to life before your eyes. Enjoy Man of War anywhere on your smartphone, tablet, or computer. Watch the trailer and experience the future of comic books for yourself. So it's basically, this isn't new. No, <laughs> they've, they've no. had these for a long time. They used to call them limited action comics. Oh, did and, they? Okay. Yes, and they did. I remember they did a whole bunch when the movie Watchmen came out. Uh-huh. Um, they did a whole release of them, and it was exactly the same sort of thing. So yeah, it's just it's like very limited animation on still images, uh, and you can buy this now from William Shatner's Man of War for nineteen ninety nine. Oh, sorry, now only nine ninety nine. It's a Comic Con special, so that's ten bucks oh, off. Okay, okay. Plus, you get a free subscription to the William Shatner's Man of War newsletter, filled with news, updates, special bonus material, behind the scene video, and much more. <laughs> it doesn't say scenes; it says scenes. Scene. There's only one scene. Well, I got to tell you, I, I watch, you know, the little thing the website shows you. And you know what I, it reminded me of? And you know, I'm not a comic book person, so I have a little different perspective. Do you remember the Clutch Cargo cartoons? <laughs> yes. Where the people were perfectly still. Yes. But they had their lips moved. Yes. It was so creepy. And this was like sort of, I don't know, mirror universe or bizarro world of that because... Here, you know, you've got everything is going on. Everything is animated except voices. Yeah. That's the only difference. It's weird. It's yeah. very weird. And I got to say, I'm looking at the splash page here, and the art that's here, <laughs> it's not great, you know? It's it's okay. Like, it's fine and all that, but it's it's not great. Um, so, I, you know, how much money did they have to spend on this? Who knows? But Bill was pitching this pretty hard when oh, he yeah. was down there. He was shilling for hey, it. Hey, right Bill shills, you know. <laughs> he always does his job. He's doing it. Um, it also reminded me, I remember um, I, there was an article by Mike Nelson of Mystery Science Theater and Rift Tracks also, who was talking about the original um, Speed Racer cartoon from mm-hmm. Japan, and he said it's less of an animation and more of um, people showing you um, flashcards briskly with, <laughs> with drawings on them while the voices came from a, a, a subpar community theater group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I agree with that statement. So there we go. Bill Shatner's Man of War. He wants you to go and buy it because that's a new thing. And Bill is all about the new things. Yes. Um, this was not on the list, but I do want to just fit it in. Bill did his motorcycle ride. Oh, yes, of course. Mm-hmm. And um, apparently the last day was absolutely brutal because they were going through the desert. So it's mm-hmm. 120 degrees. They had to be there by a certain time. So I guess it was really 
really, really rough. But, and I only read this in one place, um, that, that special motor trike mm-hmm. that was built for Bill. Uh, it ended up, I don't know, not doing it, falling apart. I don't know what happened, but Bill had to complete the ride on a Harley. Yes, I. so he told this story at Comic-Con. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, um, so basically something came apart in the steering. Like they oh. had the thing delivered and it looked beautiful and he sat in it and, you know, it just had too many problems and it was not safe at all for him uh-huh. to ride in. So they had a backup bike, of course. Of course. Um, and they took the nice one, the new one that he was supposed to go in with them, for I think about half of it because the the tech guys kept trying to fix it. Yeah. So they were trying and they were trying and they were trying, but it never got to the point where it was good enough for him to actually ride. So yeah, yeah that didn't happen at all. <laughs> oh well. But he did it anyway, and he tweeted some pictures of him and and Liz was riding with him. She was sitting in back of yes. him on his his three wheeled trike. So that was pretty funny. Oh, I know one other thing. I I have to mention going back to chaos on the bridge. Mm. Bill used an expression. That I've heard him use before. I've never heard another human being use this expression. What? And I want to know, is this a Canadian thing? <laughs> or is it something Bill came up with that when he's being filmed, instead of saying, holy shit, he says, holy cats. Yes, that was a very weird expression. I think I've heard him say that before. He said that on the uh, Shatner Project. Yes, To that's Liz right. at one point, I remember him going, holy cats, Liz. <laughs> And I can't can't remember what they were talking about, but um, yeah, I've never heard that. Oh, I think it probably is the nicer way of saying "holy shit." Um, it shares some sound resemblance to it. That was pretty funny, though. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to get that. Oh no, that's totally fine. Um, so let me talk about this thing that he did. So one of the things he did was an hour of conversation, um, and it was sponsored by the Nerdist podcast, and it was a charity thing. So everybody mm-hmm. who went to this. Um, paid money and their admission fees all went to a charity and Bill's all about the charity so that was great yes. and it was in kind of a smallish theater it wasn't in one of the halls at Comic Con it was off off site so to speak mm-hmm. um, in a little theater and I think there it was only like 200 people or something it was quite small wow. and um, I forget the name of the guy who was interviewing him he's some actor but it was just a conversation and a Q&A so I took some notes and um, the first thing I wanted to say was that Bill was very sunburned throughout Comic-Con because of the bike ride yes you could see where his goggles had been and everything and the rest of mm-hmm. his face was really red and I kind of felt bad for him because it looked kind of painful uh, but he also had on unfortunately a really bad toupee and oh. I was sad that they didn't do a better job of getting him a better toupee like FedEx one in, yeah, in England. That, that would have been better. So uh, he immediately just said he wants to talk to uh, people in the audience. And so people got up and they started talking. And because the stage was so close to the audience, the people in the front row were like eight feet away from him. It was Ooh. that close. Yeah, I know. It was like really strange. You couldn't tell until the people started standing up. So the first guy stood up to ask a question and Bill was like, Holy God, you're really close. <laughs> he was just shocked. Oh, I did see that was. clip. Yes. Okay. And so, and so the guy was like, yeah, well, this is where we are. And he's like, you're almost sitting in my lap. In fact, come here. Come sit on my lap. <laughs> and the guy goes up on stage and sat in Bill's lap when he asked his question. I know. You tweeted about that. Oh, my God. It was the cutest thing ever. It was so, so, so funny. Um, so he talked about um, the motorcycle trip and he talked about um, – why he likes to do all this shilling and how he got involved with the motorcycle guys. And, and the, the interviewer was like, isn't it hard for you to be out there all the time talking about different things and the motorcycle and your charities? And Bill said, oh, no, press is easy. You can say anything. The press will believe anything you say. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, OK, that's that's good advice. That's really great. <laughs> So then the next person got up and it was a woman wearing uh, a red TOS Um, dress Mm -hmm. and she looked great she looked really good and so he said what's your question and she said actually I have two questions my first question is can I ask you my second question while I'm sitting on your lap (laughs) and he said of course and so she came up on stage and she got to sit in his lap and and as she was coming up there he could sort of see her better and he said oh well forget the question baby just come up here and sit on my lap oh my god it was so funny so I even forget what her question was. It was 
it was, so did she. It was, it was something stupid, but, you know, whatever. It was a question, and he answered it. But, yeah, she sat on his lap, and he talked to her, and he put his arm around her of and everything. Course. It was just amazing. Um, so that was all great, and he told some T.J. Hooker stories. Um, he, let's see. Oh, there was a part where they were talking, and then suddenly the sound stopped working, mm-hmm. which was incredibly frustrating because he was in the middle of telling some story, and I never, like, figured out what the end of it was. Um, but he did talk about um, when he was doing, uh, was it the captains, where he was flying all around on that plane? Mm-hmm. That this is, he told the story of how that came to be, and it was just that somebody was working um at a company that the company that made those planes and I, I can't remember what they are right now and Bill was looking for transportation to go around the country to interview all the different people to talk to Patrick Stewart and Chris Pine and, and them and so he needed a plane so he knew someone who knew someone at that company and then they talked to the CEO of the company and Bill called the guy and he said you know Hi there, Bill Shatner, and I'm wondering if we can rent or borrow one of your planes. And the guy said, of course. And Bill was like, just like that? And the guy said, Star Trek was my inspiration for becoming the person who started this company. I watched Star Trek, and that that just got my interest in aerospace going, and I started designing, and then I went to school, and I designed these planes. So I would be more than happy to loan you a plane free of charge. Take it. And Bill was like, wow, that's amazing. And I think the question had been something like, what's the weirdest Trek connection you ever had? Mm -hmm. And for him, that was very recent. So it was because of Star Trek that he got that plane to do the interviews for a thing. And I was like, that's amazing. That is great. So that was terrific. I was really happy to hear that story. Because I think when we had um, talked about the captains a little. We wondered about the plane. Like, where did he get that from? Mm-hmm. Did they just I had him? heard it's something, uh, you know, similar to what you're telling. Not that the guy had, had, you know, grown up on track or anything, but that it was a Canadian company. And um, it was called something like Bombardier because yeah. Bill kept pronouncing it as Bombardier. Yeah, that's um, right. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, and that they had lent it to him. And I think he did a certain amount of shilling for them. They did, absolutely. Yes, yes. And he was happy to do it because of course. They got them. And yeah, they are a French company, so it is Bombardier rather oh, okay. than Bombardier. Yeah, so Bill got it right. Yay! <laughs> uh, so there was that. Somebody asked a question about what is a real friend? And I thought that was interesting. So he talked about it and the things you share. And he said that he he found <laughs> it was very funny. He said, "Yeah, what what the meaning of a true friend is? I found it in my wife." <laughs> oh my goodness! <laughs> yes, that got a huge laugh from the audience. <laughs> so that was great. And then he said, um, "You know, when you get older, you start thinking, where is your profound friend? The the friend that you can share anything with and that you can mm-hmm. talk about anything." And for Bill Leonard was that profound friend. He was, and and he said, "That's the only one I've ever had in my life." Wow. Which was really touching and deep, mm-hmm. you know. And he seemed very, very serious while he was saying it. So that yeah. was great. Um, and then I think the last question was, uh, what did he want to be remembered for? And he said he wanted to be remembered for being so good at reining his horses. Huh. <laughs> Which struck me as a little weird, but I guess it's a thing he's really passionate about. Mm-hmm. And he said it had taken him 18 years to get good at it. And then he goes, and now I'm winning. so that was great uh and then the final thing he said to the audience was that even at his age he's still trying to find the time just to be bill and he's living his life what did he say he's trying to scrape away every artifice between me bill shatner and you the audience wow yeah that's what he said so that's where he is at this point in his life at the age of Mm -hmm. 83 so it was great. And there was a lot of other stuff in there that was hilariously funny and totally inappropriate for children. And oh, good, good. It, it was really good. So it's on YouTube, and I'll put in a link so everybody can go watch it. It's well worth the hour to watch that. Oh, I'll have was, to. Because, it was uh, terrific, yeah. Yeah, I thought you were going to talk about the Q&A he did after the autobiography, and I didn't know there was this whole yeah. separate thing. It was bonus, bonus bill. Um, let's take a little break. Okay. We're about halfway in and then we can come back and, and we'll talk oh. about all of the other stuff. All righty. Holy cats. I know. <laughs> Space. 
the final frontier. These are the voyages of the starship Enterprise. Its five-year mission to explore strange new worlds, to seek out new life and new civilizations, to boldly go where no man has gone before. Listeners, we love you, and we love hearing from you. Send email to lookathisbutt at gmail.com, comments to lookathisbutt.blogspot.com, and check out the Look at His Butt Facebook page for even more Shatnerific fun. The autobiography of James T. Kirk, Captain of the Enterprise. So... They had a session, and I think it was in Big Hall H, and Bill had a little bit of conversation with um, David Goodman, the guy who wrote the book, and then he read a bunch of excerpts from it. And I got to say, it was not what I was expecting. Um, I think I know what you're getting at, but I just want to point out one thing that makes the whole thing worthwhile. Uh-huh. The first excerpt. <laughs> Bill reads it. Hello, Jim, she said. Uh-huh. Everybody roared, but here's the thing. Bill blushed bright, bright, bright red. Oh. And I would have said it's impossible to embarrass William Shatner. Oh, man. There were a lot of really, I don't think they were meant to be funny things, but Bill made them so yes. funny. So very, very funny. So the first excerpt was when he was talking about Carol Marcus, right? Yes. That was that whole thing. And um, getting to the point where they were living together in San mm-hmm. Francisco and spending a lot of time hiking and um, rock, climbing rock climbing and horseback riding, <laughs> which Bill kept bringing up. <laughs> oh, man. The way he, he read that was just too, mm-hmm. too funny. It was great. Um, so I guess... You know, Bill was sort of doing it off the cuff. Yes. And he obviously hadn't prepared for this, like he was doing a dramatic reading. So I mm-hmm. think he, he went through it a little quickly. But I didn't feel like the book, as written, really captured Kirk's voice. Right. And if William Shatner, even reading off the cuff, isn't bringing Kirk's voice to it. Yeah. It, it just didn't feel like Kirk to me. It felt like somebody else talking about Kirk. Yeah, yeah. And, and I know that we don't get a lot of first-person Kirk in TOS, except in, you know, the captain's logs and things like that. Mm-hmm. It, it just didn't even feel like that. It just doesn't, it didn't feel like his voice and the way he would express things. It was very exposition-y, you know? It was like, first I did this, and then I did this, yes, and then I did exactly. this. And that's all well and good, but I didn't get any any feeling from, you know, this was why he did the thing. And the first section about Carol Marcus is basically saying that Kirk was ready to give everything up to stay with her and be a parent to David, which I don't know about that. I mean, Well, that. that's possible, but think about this, what you're saying, you know, it was so exposition-y. In that first section, the other major character is Carol Marcus. Mm-hmm. Can you tell me anything about her? Not really. Other than that she was blonde and petite? No. I there's, mean, no and, there's no real woman there, and there was no real person there in the writing. Yeah, that, that was it. Yeah. For her and for Kirk also. It was just a lot of, we first we did this, and then we did this, and then we did this. And mm-hmm. I guess the, the thing about Kirk making the decision to stay with her came out of the blue because up to that point we have no idea that he's so deeply in love with her and in love with the idea of a family that he would make a decision like that. Mm -hmm. It was just like, what? You know? And the thing is, there would be a really good story there to be written um, that possibly part of the decision of him wanting to stay with her um, and and have a family even before he knew there was going to be a child uh, was because of work, not having fully worked through the experience of the Farragut yeah. and still not getting over that. And this was like sort of implied, but in such a superficial way. Yeah, it really was. Um, so, I, I mean, I have to say, as I'm, I'm listening to this and Bill's, you know, doing a, a good job reading it and all, I think that your voice for Kirk in the stories that you've written was way better than that. You oh, know, like, thank you. When you write Kirk, I really feel like it's Kirk. It feels like him. 
his voice, and that's the way he sounded in the movies and in the TV show. And and this just did not capture that for me. And, and I felt kind of disappointed. You know, it was fun and all, but yeah. it wasn't the kind of thing where I was going, oh, this is great. This oh. is really more Kirk. I want more Kirk. And that's it just is. it. I think we were looking forward to, and we were probably not alone, um, to it's going to be like like more Kirk, like a, mm-hmm. another performance of Kirk mm-hmm. that we will, you know, add to our our Kirk file in our brain and, and, you know, touch base with and everything. And, you know, okay, maybe we were expecting too much. but Yeah. So, I, I don't know. I'll probably read the book, but I don't really think I need to own it. Like, I'll get it from the library or something when yeah. it comes out yeah. just to see what's in it. And it doesn't seem like this book should be considered canon in any way, shape, or form, right? This is just a thing that someone decided to do. Well, yeah, and I think... Well, what might be interesting to find out about this book is what canon is he tagging yeah. into? Because he's saying, you know, you weren't happy about your mother leaving. Now that's new track. Yeah. I was you like, know, what? We all know his real mother was Marjorie, and she just stayed at home <laughs> like a good mom. That's right, in Iowa, because that's where you belong. Right? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why people have to go traveling. <laughs> Exactly. They should stay put. <laughs> um, so, yes, uh, it's still in pre-order. I don't think it comes out until September or maybe a little bit later than that. Yeah, it was something in the fall. Yeah. So it was fun to hear him read it and to, to do mm-hmm. um, double and triple entendres on many of the lines that were in there. So that yes. was good. Yes. But, yeah, I just I felt a little bit left down. You know, whenever Bill and Kirk come together, you, you can't help but have high expectations. Well, you know what it's like? It's the literary version of uh, when, when Bill did the, the uh, paintball thing mm-hmm. in, in this horrible, horrible mock-up of his – captain's uniform yeah it it was that sort of thing mm-hmm. i agree Ooh, yeah. oh, well. oh well but it was nice to see bill being out there doing stuff talking to people oh, you know yeah. having a good time having people it's always great to see people flip out over him you know isn't like, it it's just awesome they're like oh mr shatner <laughs> <laughs> which you know that's that's the way I would be too. So, oh man. So now I wonder. You know, is this going to be a thing where people ask to come sit on his lap while he's doing question and answer? Well, here's the thing. It started out with inviting me up on stage for a hug. It did. <laughs> and it now he's moved did. on to having people sit on his lap. Well, maybe next. So time- maybe next time you come up there, Bill's going to give you a back rub. Exactly. I think <laughs> it should be pointed out to him. I was like, Mr. Shatner, sir. At Comic-Con, you were inviting people to come sit on your lap. Is is Should we expect this from now on? Yes. Is this going to be part of the Q&A? Because we all think it should, right? And the yes. whole audience is going to go, yes! That could be your question. You always say you never get in the Q&A line because you don't have a good question. I think that's a good question. Okay. I, I'll, I could ask him that. Okay. Oh, my God. If they you don't can hear me. my phone ringing, but we're just going to let it ring out. Oh, um, if they don't haul me out of there, if the security doesn't come to take me away. <laughs> Oh, well. Oh, my goodness. All right. Um, let's talk about a different thing. Let's talk about the Bell Rev book. Yes. <laughs> because that was very interesting. It was. Um, <clears throat> so this book was written by a very nice man. And do you know how to pronounce his first name? Is it Darren? I think it is. Okay. But it's spelled D-A-R-A-N. Yeah, I think um, it's Darren. It might be yeah. Duran, but. Yeah. Um, and, and he lives in this area of California where Bill bought this uh, ranch and he was basically the guy who ran it for Bill and did mm-hmm. a lot of the building and the designing and looked after the horses and, and all this other stuff for quite a number of years because Bill still owns the ranch, right? But this guy doesn't work there anymore. Right. Yeah. I, as far as I know, yes, Bill still owns it. Yeah. But yeah, that guy doesn't doesn't work there anymore. Yeah. But he was there for the beginning of it and it was while Bill was married to Marcy um, it sounds like it was during uh, just pre-Hooker and then definitely during the Hooker era. Right, yeah. Uh, so, I, I mean, as the story of how to get a ranch up and running, that was pretty interesting because mm-hmm. I didn't know half that stuff. Um, so what was your impression of Bill as seen through this guy's eyes? Well, um, you know, since he makes it clear that, that Bill and Marcy bought this as a, 
a place where they could escape from Hollywood and everything. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, what we were seeing was maybe the closest we will ever get to seeing Bill sort of laid back. Mm -hmm. Um, But, of course, with all his his, uh, enthusiasm and uh, and wanting to know more, um, what was your impression? It seemed like Bill... And, and, you know, it's funny because we just saw this somewhere else. I got the impression that Bill was really shy mm-hmm. in real life. And weren't we just talking about this in the last show that, that someone was saying about him that he was he was shy and he has trouble, like, dealing with large, you know, Yeah, somebody was something? saying that's, that's a thing people don't understand about him. Yeah. Um, and I felt like that really kind of came through, that he was very friendly mm-hmm. and very warm, but only to a certain point. And and then it was just like not not letting other people into the real, I guess, the profound friendship like he was talking about yes, with Leonard. Yes. You know, they, everybody was just a little bit on, on the edges. And well, so, and I think that's why he's got this persona that mm-hmm. he has developed that he, you know, brings out at cons. Because if you're a shy person, the last thing you could do is get up on stage at one of those and, and be yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's just so weird for me to think about Bill... As a shy person, right? Like, mm-hmm. I would never have applied that word to him through, you know, my mm-hmm. many years of Trek fandom and being a Bill fan and all that. But now that I, I've kind of heard it and I'm turning it around in my mind, it actually really works. And it's it's just so strange to think of him as a person who loves being in the spotlight, right? Who loves to right. act and do all that. Well, but maybe, that's, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. Maybe shy isn't exactly the right word. Maybe it's more... um not reserved. Maybe it's more protective of his yeah. inner self. Yeah, yeah. Like I, I, you know, I don't know if he was terribly deeply hurt at some point, and that made him sort of not withdraw because Bill is not at all withdrawn. But mm-hmm. be very, very careful about who he lets into that part yeah. of himself. Yeah, that could be. It's it's just so interesting to see um, interactions with Bill that are not centered around, um, you know, television and movies and, and right. doing all that. Like, well, this is all just about life on the ranch. And it's not completely unusual among actors that part of why they become actors is because they always get to be someone else. Mm-hmm. And that's who they can present. Yeah. And they don't have to be themselves or they're very unsure of themselves or they fear that as themselves they're not good enough Maybe. And, you know, with Bill, maybe it was um, when he got to be Alexander, right? Mm-hmm. He kind of locked onto that. <laughs> was yes. Like, this is who I'm going to be for the rest of my life. And mm-hmm. he has been, right? Yes. That's been the thing that, that he has been ever since that. Not a bad choice if you're going to try to be no. somebody. No. Yeah. I think you're right on that. That's funny. Um, so I wanted to point out that one of the things that is – interesting about this uh, book which is is it's short by the way it's not a very long book uh and it's pretty well written you know you go through mm-hmm. it there's some stuff about about darren smith and his life which you can kind of skip over if you're not yeah. particularly interested uh but there were a number of passages where where the author mr smith talks about how he was coming up with uh landscaping designs for the ranch like where the pasture should be and where mm-hmm. the fences should go and he says uh you know i would i would sit in the field and i would i would daydream about it or I would meditate about it until I, I finally came to it and I thought that was a little weird and then halfway through he starts reveals the fact that he's a Mormon so all that stuff about meditating and daydreaming that mm-hmm. was that was praying <laughs> that's what that yes. was <laughs> but he just didn't want to say it and the reason I know this for a fact is because um, in my business life I did work for a Mormon company and um, we would sit down with the executives and we would have these meetings and then they would say, okay, um, that's great. We'll, we'll talk next week about this. We need to, to meditate about this for a while. Mm. And we'd, we'd be going back to the office. It's like, what the fuck are they talking about? They need to <laughs> meditate. And then I was like, oh, they're actually praying about it. Like they're getting in a group and they're having a group prayer session about uh-huh. it. That's what that means. So 
that was finally clear to me. Right. <laughs> it's like, right. okay, that's what he's talking about. Why don't you just say it? It would have been so much easier. Because um, otherwise you're like, what is he, a Zen master? He's, you know, <laughs> sitting in the lawn meditating about the landscaping of this thing? Anyway. Uh, but it also, I think, the fact that, that Mr. Smith is Mormon kind of um, shows perhaps why he was the person that Bill chose to be the, the guy who took care of the ranch, the manager, that there was a certain amount of, um, you know, Mormons have a reputation. They're very honest people mm-hmm. and they're very forthright and they're not in love with the spotlight or celebrity doesn't impress them, you know, because their faith right. is really important. Yeah. And that, I think, is perhaps why he was chosen to do that and why, you know, Bill might have felt it was okay to actually spend time with him. Because he knew that this guy was not going to go to the National Enquirer and sell his story. Right. Of, you know, this was Bill at the ranch. He would never do that kind of thing. Yeah. So I, I just thought that was a little interesting sidelight. Um, now, there's one story in here that I wanted to read because it made me laugh really loud. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, a time when um, Bill's at the ranch and he's got some people to visit. Okay. One beautiful spring day, Bill came to visit the ranch, followed by a reporter and a photographer from People magazine. Bill announced that they wanted to do an article that included some photos of him riding, and he wanted to ride Dandy, the really good-looking ranch gelding, so the beautiful horse. Um, We thought that was a great idea, but cautioned Bill that Dandy hadn't been ridden very much recently and that he might be feeling... Whoops, next page, please. (laughs) Sorry, a little frisky. There we go. We caught Dandy and brought him back to be saddled when Bill said, why can't I ride bareback? Yeah, I remember this. (laughs) Nobody had any knowledge of whether the horse had been ridden bareback ever, but he insisted. So we said, let's try it and gave him a leg up. Bill rode down the road past the barn and then turned around and trotted up for the photographer. The photographer asked that this be repeated. Then again, this was fine for Bill. He was used to retakes and was really enjoying these rides, but Dandy didn't understand the why of these energetic trips to nowhere. It seemed to him that they should be going farther or at least going somewhere. Um, My wife and I could see Dandy getting quite agitated, but Bill didn't seem to mind. He was apparently keyed in to the camera, not to the horse. Mm -hmm. We warned him that this was probably enough, that Dandy was too fresh and edgy to continue, but he wanted to do one more trip. As they approached the barn on a brisk trot, Dandy apparently thought it would be better if they could cover more ground and get this nonsense over with. (laughs) So he broke into a canter. That felt so good to him, he let his powerful hindquarters give him an enthusiastic thrust or two. And Bill, with no saddle on, came unattached. He landed not at all gracefully on his back in the road right in front of the photographer. And the reporter and the photographer loved it. Of course. When the next issue of People came out, it had the promised article, including a photo of Bill landing on his back in the road. (laughs) So I just love the fact that Bill's there. There's people he wants to impress. They bring this horse up and he's like... I'll ride it bareback. <laughs> it's and like, I, why shouldn't Kirk wrestle the tiger? Exactly. It was it was totally a wrestle the tiger moment. And just like wrestle the tiger, people are like, Bill, that's not a very good idea. The horse is like really frisky and you mm-hmm. might get thrown off and, you know, you're going to get hurt. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. I can do it. <laughs> oh, my God. I just read that and I laughed and laughed. You know, I just I see Bill there and he's just full of enthusiasm. Why can't I ride bareback? Well, the other story I really liked, and I thought maybe this was the one you were going for, was when he was determined that this little colt was going to eat out of his hand. (laughs) Yes. And he's got the colt backed into a corner and holding out his hand with food, and the horse just will not take it. It just wants to get away. Uh And Bill's, you know, down on the horse level and everything. But the the horse kicked him in the nuts. Because he deserved it. Well, yeah. Oh, man. So, so, so funny. I just love that. Like, that is such a, those are such Bill stories, right? Exactly. So, yes. so him. Um, and there was also a nice little story about him um, going swimming in the, the creek that was mm-hmm. bordering part of the ranch and that he got in it like a kid and he was just sliding down these rocks and going through the, you know, yes. rapids, not really rapids, yes. having a great old time. And that made me happy to know that he could go to his ranch and have fun like that. Well, you know, I think, and I, I have no nothing to base this on except my own intuition, I believe that is the same ranch that when he was married to um, his third wife, whose name I'm now blanking on, 
uh, the one before Liz, who died. Yeah. Oh, now I'm not remembering it either. Oh, we're such bad fans. Anyway, um, when there was this, um, I think documentary, it might have been uh, um, Biography or the Canadian version of Biography, mm-hmm. where um, he allowed them to come to the ranch and film. Oh. And nobody had ever been allowed there before. And there were scenes of him, you know, in this river or stream. And I think that was also where they revealed that, you know, he had had sculptures made mm. of Native Americans in in the way they would have been mm-hmm. in the sculptor's eye um, at the time when this, this was their land and how, you know, maintaining this history of the of the area was so important to him to acknowledge that and have that still be part of the ranch. I think that that's the place because they were talking about, yeah, this is his getaway. Nobody, you know, it's very rare for anybody to even be invited there. It's very much a private place. Yeah. I, I definitely got that feeling. Um, mm-hmm. In the whole book, you know, rarely uh, is it mentioned that Bill brought people there other yeah. than his family. You know, of course they talk about his family, but no, it was never like he would bring parties of people down from L.A. or anything. Yeah, that, that was not the, the purpose of the place. Yeah. So it was a very interesting little book, and if anybody's really interested in knowing about this, I would recommend it. You know, it's on Amazon. I mm-hmm. think it only costs a couple of bucks or something, but it's kind of cool. And it's a little weird that this guy decided to write the book. I, I couldn't quite figure out what his his impetus was for doing it, mm-hmm. other than you know he's sort of an old dude who's retired now, and like whatever, just felt like he wanted to put it down. And somebody probably said, "You could sell this on Amazon." Yeah, so, you can make so some money. Is. Yeah. yeah. So good for him. Yes. So it's a very nice little book. Okay. Um, So let's go from that to a thing that I just feel like I need to mention just because. (laughs) Okay. Which is, uh, you know, they're filming the next Star Trek movie now, Mm -hmm. which is called Star Trek Beyond. Right. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So they're filming it and it's in Vancouver. And um, if you want to, you can... Enter for a chance to win a walk-on role. Oh, it's actually you and a friend. Oh. Yeah, right? Um, so it's all for charity, so you have to make a, a charity donation, mm-hmm. which is very nice. So it says, you and a friend will make franchise history as the first fans ever to win a walk-on role in a Star Trek movie. Because but, B. Joe Trimble never existed. And all those other people who yeah. were in the crowd <laughs> scenes, too. So whatever. Um, boldly, boldly go behind the scenes, hang out with the cast, and witness the filming of Star Trek Beyond. Uh, and also, you're flown to Vancouver and put up in a four-star hotel. Ooh. So that's very nice. And there's a, a little promo um, video with the cast all talking about it. But it's, you know, are they, why are they doing this? Like, <laughs> does it need that kind of publicity? I don't know. It just feels like a little odd. To do this kind of crowdsourcing thing. You can be in the movie. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, we don't like those movies, so maybe we haven't been watching. But it seems to me that not many people have good things to say about it or are excited. Like, when is this coming out? You know, wanting more and more of of, of that sort of thing. Yeah. I, I don't know. So, anyway, it's there. They're supporting very nice charity organizations, which is good. And uh, all of the different charities were nar- um, sorry nominated by people in the cast. So, Quinto and, and, uh, mm-hmm. and Carl Urban and all those people. So, that's very nice that they're doing it. Um, and one of them is the uh, St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital, uh, which does... Um, research on childhood cancer and that was nominated by Susan Nimoy in honor of Leonard Nimoy. So. Oh, that's nice. Yeah, so that's very nice. And there's other stuff you get, like uh, if you just give a, a base level donation, you can get t-shirts and stuff like that. What's the top level? Hold on here. Oh, there we go. Look at that. If you contribute $100,000, oh. right? Yeah. Uh, you, you will get a replica captain's chair. Whoop-de-doo. <laughs> You could have one built for a lot less. Yeah, you could get Adam Savage to make it for you. Yeah. Um, and if you contribute $50,000, you get advanced private screening of Star Trek Beyond in or near your hometown. <laughs> and it just says that. I mean, it's not like for you and your friends. I guess, I don't know, maybe it is just for you and your friends. No, but it wouldn't it be fun to go and sit all alone in the movie theater? <laughs> 
Or actually, that's the one you and I should win because we would need to talk all the way through it. You know, that's so. true. We we'd be doing a, a live on the scenes podcast. <laughs> it would be pretty funny. Well, I have to tell you, somebody posted what I thought was a pretty funny, although kind of mean, comment on the Shatner board mm-hmm. about this. They said, "Oh, maybe Bill should enter, and then he'd get to be in the movie." Oh, <laughs> wow! That's a sick burn. That's pretty good. <laughs> I like that idea, though. Yeah. That's pretty funny. So there you go. Maybe this is the way movies are going to go from now on. It's mm-hmm. like to, to generate all sorts of uh, social media cred. They're going to yeah. have raffles and let people have walk-on parts in the movies. Jeez. Oh, okay. okay. Whatever. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't interest me that much. Okay. Now, let's talk about the uniform thing. Yeah. So this I found on Tumblr. Just because I was, I have, mm-hmm. I follow several different Star Trek tumblers, and today I saw today, and I was like, "Ooh, this is weird." So what someone has done is taken stills from Deep Space Nine, and have photoshopped the faces of the TOS crew onto them. So it, it's really well done. I have to it say, it is. Yes. So it really looks like it's Kirk and Spock and everybody else wearing the new uniforms, and. I, I have very mixed feelings about this. Um, I will say that Ohura and Rand look so good. I think they look terrific in those outfits. Mm-hmm. I really do. I've always liked the way the women look in the, the newer outfits. And I was so happy on TNG when they took Troy out of those dresses and finally put her in like a real blue medical outfit. Yes. She looked so good. That was in best of both worlds. It was like, finally, let's just do this. Mm-hmm. It's really good. So they look great. And, and I think the other people look great, but I don't like the way Kirk looks. Well, and I don't know why. <laughs> I'm, I'm staring at it and yeah. I cannot figure out why I don't like it. It's probably the least well done of all of them in the photoshopping. Yeah, um, that's true. It's still better than a lot of stuff I've seen. But um, his head doesn't quite fit that body. <laughs> yeah, it's a little small. His head's a little yeah, small. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. Like, there's something about Kirk in his gold shirt. That's, oh, well. Like, I can't, I just can't separate them. And I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm trying to turn this over. I was like, why don't I like this? You know, is it that it's not sexy enough or? Well, that's part of it. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's also, these look to me to be very heavy. Yes. Like they're made out of quilted material. Yes. I and think that's right. part of the charm of, and hotness of Kirk's <laughs> uniform is that he can get out of it quickly. <laughs> and it can rip and tear all over the place. Yeah. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. He looks too covered up. Yeah, we you know, don't like he, that. he just—it's not form-fitting enough. I, these are such weird things to be saying, but it—it it just like I don't know. I—I I don't think it would have worked to have him in an outfit. And you know, when he was dressed, uh, you know, in the the outfits in the movies, like in mm-hmm. two and in four, those were fine. I didn't mm-hmm. have any problem with him wearing those. So I I just don't know. It's weird. Yeah. But I'm going to put the link up so everybody can go have a look. Yes, and I, I think I would really love to know what other people think about this. Like, Do you think it's good? Do you think it's bad? Does it generate thoughts in you the way I'm having? Or am mm-hmm. I just completely off the rails here? I, I want to know yes. from the listeners. Did your, did your service kangaroo have to fan you as you were looking <laughs> at this? We're going to go out for a little hop after this is over. <laughs> And that'll make it all better. Um, I have to tell you something I've been meaning to tell you. Yes. Remember that, that look at his butt cup you got me? Oh, yes. The mug? Yeah. Okay, so it's sitting on my counter. And um, I had some younger members of my family over. And the seven-year-old looked at this and, and reads, look at his butt. <laughs> she turns to me and goes, what is this? Why would you even have this? <laughs> she was so appalled. <laughs> oh, well, I can understand that. But if you showed her a picture of his butt, maybe she would She's understand. probably too young to appreciate it. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. That but I love that. True. Why would you even have this? <laughs> it's in, in an apartment full of little giraffe things. Right, right. This is the, the bizarre thing. Yeah. <laughs> 
that has a picture of smiling handsome Kirk on I it. I know. Oh, gosh. All right. I think that's most of the stuff on the list. Um, I wanted to say one other thing, though, which was that I was uh, I was I was running the other day. I decided I better start exercising so I don't die. Okay. And um, I'm doing this challenge thing, which everybody is doing now, and it's called um, Couch to 5K. Oh, and, I've heard of this. Yes, it's a little app. You have it on your phone, and it it, it, it does a workout with you where you're mm-hmm. running and walking, and it's actually really good. Um, but the voice that they have to encourage you is just sort of a generic you know, woman's voice, and there doesn't seem to be an option to change it. And I thought if I had Bill encouraging me to do my workout and run, it would be amazing. Like imagine how much you could do if Bill was on your iPhone or your iPod going, um, you're doing great. You're halfway through. Come on, just a little bit more. Like, oh, um, boy, uh, chateauetry. So I'm going to try it. I'm going to see if I can take chateauetry and make him say the things that the exercise lady's voice is saying for if me. If you do that, we have to find a way of sending it to him because that would be his next big thing. Oh, you know, you can do that, right? Like on certain GPS systems, you can order the celebrity voices uh-huh. that tell you. But yeah. I don't think I've ever seen Bill's voice on anything like well, that. Well, there was one, you know, charity auction thing where maybe it was at one of the horse shows or something. Mm. But it took a lot of money, you know, to win it that he would record your outgoing voice message. Right, right. I So I've seen lots of people do that. Um, mm-hmm. But I think it would be so cool if he did, you know, the voices for either your workouts or for something else or, oh, you know, yeah. like encouragement to stick to your diet or whatever. Oh, oh my God. It would be amazing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm a little obsessed with this idea right now and I'm definitely going to play with Chateau Tree to see if I can make that happen. I think that would be great. <laughs> Go to work. Oh, man. So, yeah, that's what I think about when I'm running, when I'm trying to, like, do it without dying. Like, I wish Bill was encouraging me right now. Well, that's like, um, you know, when I first got the, the uh, little iPad that could show video. Mm-hmm. And, you know, TOS wasn't available in that format. And I actually rented all of the TOS episodes from Netflix, <laughs> ripped them got whatever software I needed to bring them down to that format and put them on my little video iPad. <laughs> and I watched every single one of those in order oh. while I was doing the elliptical for a couple of months. Yep. It's great. It's really great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so. Anyway, listeners, if you have any thoughts on this or if you know that Bill has done voices, please let us know. Yes. Know. Yes. All right. Well, that wraps it up for another fun-filled, exciting, action-packed episode. Well, it has been an exciting, action-packed week in Shatnerland. It's true, because Bill's doing everything, everywhere, all the time. And I'm wondering now if he's already in Asia doing his uh, reality show. Yeah, that's right. That's supposed to be starting pretty soon. Well, Mm -hmm. we should be keeping an eye on the news, because I'm sure things will happen where Bill will somehow manage to get publicity for it. Of course. Because that's just how he rolls. (laughs) see Bill shilling to all these people in countries where he doesn't speak the language and they have no idea who he is. That's going to be so much fun. But you know, I bet there's going to be people everywhere. Somebody's going to know him everywhere. Right. In China or in Korea or in Japan, there will be people who will see him and do exactly like Americans do and freak the fuck out because (laughs) it's Bill. Oh my God, get the Kirk! Just be screaming at him. It'll be great. Yes, it will. Mm. Um, so anyway, thanks as always for listening, listeners, and for sending us your comments and, and uh, various things on Facebook. We love you all. We do. We're so and happy to have this podcast and to have you listening to it. Yes. And we'll be back soon with another episode. So until then, live long and potluck. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs>